the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is the word to stand on for life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Your word is sharper than any two-edged sword. And it cuts deep into my heart. The word to stand on for life is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel in San Antonio. A live call-in show here to help you answer your questions about the Bible and how to apply the word to your daily life. For more information on Calvary Chapel, visit our website, calvarysa.com. Get your Bible questions ready and call in now to 210-340-9585. It's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome to the show. It's Tuesday. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas. And this is the Word to Stand On for Life, a program dedicated to taking your phone calls and answering your questions, Bible questions, questions about stuff going on in your life, whatever's on your heart. All you need to do is pick up the phone and dial 210-340-9585. If you're outside the local San Antonio area, you can call toll-free. At 877-630-KSLR. That's 630-5757. You can email questions at Calvary by emailing questions at calvarysa.com. Or you can use our Calvary Chapel mobile app. And remember, as always, if you are driving in your car, the safest way to call is to use the free KSLR mobile app. Just hit the call now banner at the top of the screen and you'll be connected directly to our studio producer. Um, we got nothing going on, so let me get right to questions. We had a question come in uh, yesterday right at the end of the show, in, in the last minute and a half or so of the program, uh, called the, the Studio, and it was anonymous. And the question is, what is the definition of sin? Um, literally anonymous, the definition of sin is missing the mark. That's all it means. We aim for something and we miss it. It doesn't matter whether it's willful or unintentional. If you miss it, you're guilty of sin. Now, let me get a little more detailed than that, because in our context, the Christian context, a sin is anything that God says is sin. If God says sexual immorality is sin, then we have to agree with him. If we call ourselves a Christian, we can't say, well, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. You know, one of the things that happens all the time, people come to church and they're living together and they'll say things like, well, no, we're not married, but we love each other or we're married in God's eyes. No, they're not. God calls that sin. And here's the thing, Anonymous, we don't get a vote. We don't get an opinion. Um, I, I've been in situations where um, I've talked to unequally yoked couples and say, look, you're a believer, she's not, or you're a believer and he's not. It's sin for you to be involved in this relationship. Well, I don't think there's anything wrong with it. Well, we have to agree with God. And I think that's really where we get messed up on the definition. God sets a standard. That's the only standard Jesus established at Stanford in Matthew chapter 5, or that that, uh, standard in Matthew chapter 5, verse 48, be ye perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect. And short of that, then our sins need to be covered by the blood of Jesus Christ. That's why only born-again Christians are going to be in heaven. And all we have to do is decide, okay, well, if he's God... And I say I'm his, I have to agree with him. And I think the thing that bothers most people uh, in our culture um, um, by far the most is um, we just don't think some things are that bad. So let me reiterate, Anonymous, sin is missing the mark. Sin is um, anything that God says is sin. doesn't matter what we think or what the world around us thinks. The only thing that matters is what does God say? 
And I'll say it one more time because it's important we get this lodged in our brains. We cannot be a Christian and disagree with our Christ. He calls the shots. Jesus said, if you love me, you will obey me. And then that's a decision we have to make. And we find out, don't we, whether we love him or we love our sin more. So Anonymous, I hope that makes sense to you. Here is a question. This one is from James. And he says, can you talk about the real value of the Holy Spirit in us? James, I could talk for two hours about the real value of the Holy Spirit in us. But you see, the Holy Spirit is the power of God. The Holy Spirit connects us to the throne of God. You know, when Jesus was walking this earth, he said, I only do what I see my Father do. I only say what I hear my Father say. In other words, Jesus, when he was walking this earth, he had no independent thoughts. He didn't do anything based on what he thought was right or or what he thought he ought to be doing. Everything was done in submission to the will of God. Now, you will remember that uh, as he was baptized by John the Baptist, not because he was a sinner, but because he was identifying with sinful humans, the Spirit of God descended on him in the form of a dove. From that moment forward, Jesus walked on only by and in the power of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, Christ in us, the hope of glory, gives us a guarantee of our future inheritance in heaven. A hope is not a cross your fingers, I hope this happens thing. Hope for the Christian is a certainty. And the Holy Spirit gives us that certainty. You know, there are lying spirits out there. People question their salvation. Uh, That's the lying spirit. The Holy Spirit says, no, no, no. I know who you are. And I'm here. I'm with you. The deposit guaranteeing our inheritance. So not only does he give us power to be obedient, he gives us the certainty of our salvation. The Holy Spirit also empowers us to walk away from sin. Sin shall no longer have dominion over you, the King James says. Sin shall no longer be your master, the NIV says. Why? Because the power of God, greater is he who is in us than he who is in the world. The power of God frees you from the control of sin. The grace of God frees you from the punishment of sin. But without the power of God, I've been talking to our church uh, about this very thing. We're in the book of Acts. And you know, the thing is, we got to stay connected to the source of power. And only human beings have the power to thwart the work that God wants to do in or through any of us. We can say no. God gives us the free will. We can say no. But when we're not being obedient, when we're not doing what God tells us to do, then we've quenched or we've negated the power of the Holy Spirit. And because of that sin, our fellowship was broken. And because our fellowship is broken, uh, we're on our own. I always tell our church here that when you're on your own, the best you can do is the best you can do. And that's not very good. So the Holy Spirit allows us to walk with Jesus. The Holy Spirit empowers us to do the work that God has called us to do. The Holy Spirit empowers us to resist and prevail over temptation and sin. So I think that's a lot of real value, James. It gives us the authority and the ability to say no to that which our flesh desires and to say yes to that which God desires for us. The Holy Spirit also empowers us to to use the gifts that God has given us. You know, we all, every Christian has at least one spiritual gift. I believe with all of my heart that we all have many, many more gifts. But when we're not obedient to use that gift God has given us, well then, we've disconnected from the source of power And there's no longer any possibility of us using another gift until we repent and get right with God. So I think that's the the wonderful benefits of the Holy Spirit. Let me mention one more, James. The Holy Spirit in us is who convicts us of sin. And one of the things that I, I can never be grateful enough for is that the Holy Spirit prevents me from doing things that I otherwise would do. 
I tell the story about uh, my mouth before I got saved. My mouth was so foul, so filthy. Um, I mean, when my mouth was open, I was cussing and I was lying. That's just something you tell. Well, the power of the Holy Spirit empowers me, one, to tell the truth, but two, the Holy Spirit empowers me so that I don't have to behave the way I used to be, but I don't have to have that filthy language anymore. I've been saved 32 years, and in that 32 years, it's now 32 and a half years, a little more than 32 and a half years. In those years, uh, I've only cussed one time, just one time. And I was shocked that that happened. It was when I was in uh, Bible college. But but the Holy Spirit has empowered me to do all those things. So there's a lot of other benefits or value of the Holy Spirit. But James, it's the power of the Holy Spirit in you that allows you to be a good husband, a good father, a good employee, a good neighbor, a good friend. Um, apart from the power of the Holy Spirit, uh, you can't do any of those things. So I hope that's what you are getting at. It's a kind of a vague question, but an important one, James. Thank you very, very much. Hey, 210-340-9585 for your live calls and questions. Here's a question from Reggie. He says, Pastor Ron, when a pastor like Andy Stanley comes out and refuses to call homosexuality a sin, how can we regular Christians defend the biblical position? Um, Reggie, I don't think we have to defend anything. All we have to do is declare what the Bible says about homosexuality. Let me address uh, Andy Stanley. You know, I can't turn on my YouTube page uh, without seeing his picture now plastered all over it. Because of his uh, newfound position, I guess it's a newfound position, on homosexuality. Um, um, He had a conference uh, called Unconditional. That conference um, was uh, intended to minister to um, same-sex attracted people and their families, um, to open a door, a bridge between uh, those who are gay and and the Church of Jesus Christ. He claims that the church is driving people out uh, of the church or away from the church because of our position in homosexuality. Um, we know that's not true. All sin separates us from God. And uh, all we would ask Andy Stanley to do is be honest enough to tell people the truth. Sin separates us from God. Your homosexuality is a sin. Uh, I'm sure Andy Stanley wouldn't uh, have a, a conference uh, to accept drunks or uh, or thieves or murderers, um, child rapists. I mean, he would recognize all of those things are sin. Well, homosexuality is in that same list. And um, so we don't have to defend anything, Reggie. All we have to do is declare the truth of what the Bible says. And when people don't like it, it's because they don't want to like it. Uh, and there's nothing you can do about that. God, I said to an earlier question, gives us the free will to choose to sin or to choose to run to him. And and we've decided, the world that we live in mostly has decided to run to that sin and away from God. And there's nothing that you can do about that. So, Reggie, you keep telling the truth and you keep telling the truth in love. I've got Cindy holding. Cindy, if you can be patient for just one minute. Uh, I'll get right to you. But let me say this. We pastors and Christians are going to deal with these questions about homosexuality and the transgender community. We're going to deal with these questions uh, more and more and more and more because our country has blessed those sins. And anything our nation says is okay, will those sins exponentially increase. And so we just have to be prepared. So when somebody says, no, this is okay, well, why do you say that? Jesus said that sin separates us from God, and he's the bridge to get us back to God. So why do you say that something God calls sin is okay? And they won't be able to answer that question. Well, Jesus would accept us. Jesus loves us. But but their definition of the word love is all wrong. So, Reggie, don't defend just Declare the gospel. There's freedom only in 
and through the person of Jesus Christ. Thank you, Reggie. Appreciate the question. Let's go to Cindy holding on line one. Cindy, thanks for calling. You're on the air. Hi, Pastor Ron. This seems like a perfect time to call this question in. Now, I have three words that are in the Bible, and and I'm, I'm wondering how they correspond in the Word of God, and how do we get these words to manifest in our daily walk? And the words are, and I wondered if you'd talk, to, talk about each one of them, and the words are wisdom, knowledge, and understanding. And I'll get off the phone and listen on the radio. Thank you. Bye. Thank you, Cindy. I will do that. At my age, I'm writing them down so I don't forget the last one. Cindy, thank you. Understanding is the last one. Yeah, I can talk about those things. Wisdom, of course. Um, You know, the fear of God. Solomon, who was the wisest, smartest man who's ever lived, he said the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. So the foundation for wisdom, and the only wisdom that's available is the wisdom above. You know, Cindy, on on our Bible teaching programs on this station and on other stations throughout the country, um, I'm currently teaching through the book of Ecclesiastes. And wisdom is defined in the book of Ecclesiastes as two types of wisdom. There's above the the sky wisdom that's wisdom that finds its its foundation in heaven and then there's below wisdom below the sky and and Solomon uh, again who was the wisest smartest man that's ever lived uh, at the end of his life when he was writing Ecclesiastes he'd come to the conclusion that all of the things that he sought that were under the sky those things weren't wise at all because they didn't fulfill. So biblical wisdom is the wisdom that comes from heaven. By the way, there is a gift of wisdom that is given by the Holy Spirit to Christians, and that wisdom is always the wisdom from above. So here's wisdom, fearing God. Wisdom is agreeing with God. Wisdom is pursuing the knowledge, and I'll talk about knowledge more in a minute. Wisdom is pursuing the knowledge that puts you right in the will of God. And that's wisdom. Wisdom is, Lord, I'm going to get up in the morning. If I don't walk by the power of your spirit, I'm going to blow everything. So hold on. Keep me close. That's wisdom. Wisdom understands and I said this, I think, um, um, I, I know, a week ago in, in a Bible study, that that I know, and, and this is wisdom, Cindy, it's true for you too, although you're not as bad as I am, but wisdom is knowing that apart from the power of the Holy Spirit, that I can do every evil thing that I've ever done. You would think that after being a pastor for now more than 28 years, that I would be able to, to do stuff in my own strength that wouldn't be so bad. But you see, the nature of our flesh is that we're horrible. There's nothing good in us. And so wisdom is exercised by saying, Lord, I'm going to say no to me so that I can say yes to you. And I want to walk in your wisdom. It's interesting, Cindy. Uh, I've been praying a lot. I mentioned on the program yesterday that we have a new building that we've just taken possession of and we're trying to get it all ready. And, and now for about the last six months if we've, as we've gotten really serious about this, um, this project, uh, I've been asking God for wisdom every day. I think I know some good stuff to do. I think I know what God wants us to do. But I want to be sure that the wisdom is wisdom that comes from above and not below. And so we've tried to make decisions waiting on the Lord to give that wisdom. So that's what wisdom means in the Bible. Wisdom is uh, is only available from above. Knowledge, I think, is important. You know, the Bible never says that we're to pursue knowledge. Uh, in the New Testament, we're told that we're to pursue the knowledge of God. That's the the knowledge of the person of God and the knowledge of his will for our lives. But general knowledge, and there's nothing wrong with knowing things. There's nothing wrong with study and, and intellect. But but we're never told to pursue knowledge in and of itself. But, but I think the real gift of knowledge is um, the, the, the necessity of pursuing 
who the person of Jesus Christ really is, what he's done for us. We need to know that. And of course, the word of God is where we get that knowledge. But we're also to pursue the knowledge of God's will for our lives. And that knowledge is simply saying, okay, Lord, I want to walk with you. I want to be like Jesus when he said, I only do uh, what I see my father do. I only say what I hear my father say. Uh, I want to be able to walk like that. Now, obviously, I'm not Jesus. He had no sin nature, and I do. But I want to avail myself of the knowledge that comes from heaven. And I want to repeat, the only source of that kind of knowledge is the Word of God. Cindy, there's also a gift of knowledge, just like there's a gift of wisdom, which I think is the the, the right opportunity, the right timing, and the right method of of delivering the gift of knowledge that God gives. Uh, the gift of knowledge uh, can take a lot of forms. Uh, I was once talking to somebody, and he kept beating around the bush. He um, wouldn't really tell me what was wrong. He kept making appointments. I kept saying, look, I, I can't waste any more time. If you're not going to be honest with me, there's nothing that I can do. And it was just as soon as I got that in my mouth, the Lord spoke to my heart and said, he's gay. And so I asked him, I said, are you a homosexual? And his face got ashen white. How did you know? And I said, God gave me a word of knowledge right then and there. I think one of the things, and this is wisdom too, Cindy, uh, real wisdom is saying when you're talking to somebody, especially in a counseling situation, when you're talking to someone, you should be praying behind the conversation all the time. Lord, give me a word of knowledge. If there's something that will help this man or this woman, if there's something that he or she needs to hear, or if there's something I need to know to to, to bring this person to a place where they're going to deal with you, then give me that word of knowledge. And, and that is a gift that God uh, gives frequently, and I think it's really important. Now, as a pastor, I exercise the gift of knowledge a lot. Um, uh, when I am teaching uh, a passage of Scripture, I do three su- Sunday services, and all three services are different because they're different people in the service. And I'll be teaching a passage that in third service. Maybe I've taught the other two passages. And God will give me a word of knowledge about something that somebody's dealing with. Now, he doesn't give me a word of knowledge specifically. In fact, he didn't say, guy in the third row from the left, four seats, this is for him. He doesn't do that. But he just gives me the word of knowledge. And when I'll include that in the Bible study, the Holy Spirit will take that and use it. Uh, that is the gift of knowledge. So that's important. Remember, we're not, not called to pursue knowledge in and of itself. We're to pursue the knowledge of God, who he is, and the knowledge of his will for our life. Understanding, I think, simply comes as a result of walking with the Lord. You know, the, the Bible says it pleases God when we walk by faith. I think we need to understand that, and we understand that by putting it into practice, all the things that we've learned about who God is or about what his will for our life is. I think when we have that understanding, then we can walk in the security of the Lord. Then we can walk uh, in that place where uh, we're confident that we're in the presence of the Lord. But that's what understanding is. Let me also say one other thing about understanding, Cindy. If we're not doing what we know, then we don't understand it. I'll give you an example. Philemon, the sixth verse says, uh, Paul talking to Pastor Philemon, I pray that you'll be active in sharing your faith so that you will have a full understanding of every good thing that we have in Christ. If we're not sharing our faith, we have no understanding. Now, we can have intellectual understanding. We can understand the concept. But if that concept hasn't changed our behavior, if that concept hasn't changed uh, the way we're living our lives, then we have no understanding. We can have a knowledge of, of something, but without the understanding of that and, and enough understanding to apply it in our lives, then and only then uh, are we in a place where uh, we can say we have Understanding, We've got to be able to take what we learn, take what the Spirit of God says to us, take what we read in the Bible, 
each morning and apply it into our lives. And and when we do that, the Lord is pleased because we are demonstrating that we truly do understand what he wants. So, Cindy, I hope that touches on kind of what you're getting at. Um, You know, the, the, the Lord is so gracious to us. What we've got to do is set our minds and our hearts. Paul says to set your minds, the place of decision, and your hearts, the place of affection, on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of the majestic God. So if we do that, then we have uh, understanding. We've taken the wisdom God has given, the knowledge that he's provided in and through his word, and then we've applied it into our lives in a way that changes our lives and gives us opportunities to minister. And when we do that, then we have demonstrated that we really do get it, that we understand. I don't think a lot of us, Cindy, really understand how important it is to share our faith. I want everybody to get it. Hey, we'll be back on the other side of the break, 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. This is the word to stand up for life. I'll be back in two minutes. Back to the Word to Stand On for Life. We're taking your calls at 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. Now, here's Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome back to the second half of our Tuesday program, 340-9585 for your live calls and questions. Let's go to Rick on line one from San Antonio. Rick, thanks for calling. You're on the air. Yeah, there's an interesting verse here in uh, Romans 11. Uh, it says it's no more of works, indicating at one time it was works and faith together. Today it's grace alone by faith. Have you know, ever noticed it? Mark it in your King James Bible. I know you, you, you don't like the King James. No, I love the King James, Rick. That's not, not, not a fair assumption. I love the King James. That was the Bible that I grew up on. When he says it's no more of works, what he's doing is he's drawing a line between the law and grace. And so clearly we're saved by faith because of grace, and um, that's that's what it is. Thanks, Rick. Today I appreciate the are. call. Hey, where, where are you going? Well, what, what do you, uh, what's your question, Rick? Uh, well, now look at all the verses. It says, but now we're no more under the law. But now, if you mark these verses, it'll revolutionize your your understanding of the Bible. Rick, we've had you on the phone before, and we've cut you off. You're a hyper-dispensationalist. That's not at all what it means. You didn't listen at all to what I said. But now, meaning no longer under the law, we are now saved by grace through faith, and that the faith not of ourselves, it is the gift of God. You can't negate the whole Bible, Rick, because you want to position dispensation after dispensation after dispensation your 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 health unhealthy unbalanced view uh is is um untenable again thanks for the call but have something more substantive if you want to call again let's go to our my next question now we've that's a group of people that we have that are the hyper dispensationalists now we are dispensationalists i am a um, C.I. Schofield type dispensationalist. You can't read the Bible and understand it unless you understand the idea that God speaks to different people in different ways and deals with people in different ways at different times. And he announces that. But people like Rick, they go through the Bible and they'll come up with 20 or 30 different dispensations and it simply defies the, the laws of hermeneutics. So... Um, That's the best we can do. Gene says this, Pastor Ron, I know you don't believe in tithing, but if we don't tithe, how do we honor God with our material goods? Well, Gene, I, I don't believe in tithing as, as a Jewish concept under the law because we've been freed from the law. We are under a completely new covenant. 
And you don't get to drag parts of that covenant back in and say, well, I know we're free. Jesus gave his new covenant, but um, that's not dishon- that's not honest hermeneutics. Um, uh, I, I don't believe in God saying, now you must give 10%. Um, and by the way, the, the, the Jewish tithe was, was, there were two and a half different ones. So they ended up giving way more than 10%. But uh, we're not under that law. We're to give generously. We're to give hilariously is the, 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 the term. But we're to do it because, because we're grateful for what God has done. So here's how we honor God with our uh, material goods. We give as the Lord leads. You know, I often say that if grace is 10%, I mean, if the law was 10% and the law condemned us, how much more? Should we give because of grace? And the answer is real simple. We give everything. Romans 12, uh, the first two verses. I, I, I beseech you, brethren, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifice. In other words, everything that we have, everything that we ever will have, belongs to God. And as stewards over that which God has given us, our responsibility then, Gene, is to say, uh, Lord, here's all the stuff you give me. Um, what do you want me to do with it? And that's the way we honor God with our material goods. It's not a have to. Tithing is a have to. Giving is a get to. And that gene is the difference between tithing and giving. Giving out of the love of your heart. Let's go to Ray on line one from San Antonio. Ray, you're on the air. Thanks for calling. Uh, Pastor Ron, I have a question on John 14, um, and it's pretty simple for you to explain to me, but uh, verse 28 is uh, the very end of it, is, If you loved me, you would be glad I am going to the Father, for the Father is greater than I, and I, I'm kind of puzzled about that because we we feel the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are all equal. and So could you just straighten that out for me a little bit? I can, Ray. Thank you very much. That's an important question. Uh, Philippians chapter 2 explains uh, what Jesus meant there. That's called the kenosis of God or, or the emptying of himself. So when Jesus said the Father is greater than I, he doesn't mean greater in substance or greater in character or greater in terms of, of inherent good. Nothing like that. Jesus simply saying that there is a hierarchy that, that he's accepted. The Father sent the Son, the Son sent the Spirit, and each has a job to do. And in that job that each member of the triune God does, they're taking willingly a subservient position in terms of authority only. That's why Jesus said, I always and only do what pleases my Father. It's because he was subservient. He said in John chapter 4, my my meat or my food, in this case spiritual food, is to do the will of him who sent me. So Jesus was on an errand when he was sent here and, and doing everything under the obedience to his father meant everything to him. And that's why the father on three separate occasions could say, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. Listen to him. And so that's all it is. It's not greater in character or substance, but simply in authority. Jesus let go of the authority or the equality he had with the Father. He did that for his incarnation. Likewise, the Holy Spirit testifies only about Jesus. That's what the Holy Spirit does. And um, his role is different than the Son's was or than, than Jesus was. And certainly different than the fathers. It doesn't diminish at all their capacity for equality uh, or or oneness at all. So, Ray, I hope that makes sense to you. It's simply um, equality with God that Jesus let go. Again, Philippians chapter two, beginning in verse five, uh, gives you uh, the explanation of that. 
Thanks a lot, Ray. I appreciate the question. Let's go to Mark on line two from San Antonio. Mark, thanks for holding. You're on the air. Hello, Ron. Thank you so much for your program and also for your discussion earlier on knowledge and the kinds of it. Oh, this thanks, question Mark. Or two, yes. This question or two right now kind of piggybacks off of that. It has a little bit of a, of a, uh, a government type of, uh, of, of uh, a supplement to it. Basically, I have a couple of friends of mine that are considered like, I consider them kind of like patriots or Christian zealots where they're always talking about politicalness and correctness and where the Christian's role in it is and how we may not necessarily have to obey our governing authorities if they're not going by what, what God's laws are, like pro-life and things like that. And I'm talking about Romans 13 and things like that. And they're also saying things like, uh, well, my people perish for lack of knowledge. They quote that a lot and how we, we need to have this as applied to uh, uh, the political government sectors and our role to get that knowledge out. Otherwise, we're going to perish. We're not going to be effective in modern day society or culture. Uh, I found that verse somewhere in Hosea. I think they're taking it way out of context. Mm-hmm. I'm out. Mark, thank you very, very much. That's a great question, and we're, we're going to be dealing with these things. Let me first say that when uh, both Peter and Paul wrote about submitting to the government authorities, we remember that the government authority in their world was Caesar Nero. A, a hateful man who hated Jews. He hated Christians. He was responsible for the murder and the death of many, many Christians. Now, here's the thing. When Christians stood against Caesar Nero, they accepted the consequences of their decision. The Apostle Paul certainly could have, have, have saved his life. Peter could have saved his life by, by, by recanting their faith in Jesus Christ. But instead... Uh, they stood firm in the face of those kinds of threats. So uh, it's it's not like the, the writers of the Bible didn't understand the horrible government leadership examples that we have. Uh, we're to live a quiet life, a, a submitted life, an obedient life. Why? Because we're then free from government oppression and we can be free to share our faith. Now, the problem with your friends is that they're serving the wrong kingdom. And it's easy to take Old Testament verses out of context, but they're serving the wrong kingdom. Now, I want to make this as clear as I can to everybody who's listening today. If the government asks you to do something that the Bible says you can't do, then you can't do it. It's that simple. The Bible, if they, if they would say, and I'm just using an extreme example, if the Bible says um, um, if you're pregnant and you have more than one child, then you, you have to get an abortion. We Christians would have to stand up and say no. Now, we'd also have to be willing to accept the consequences of that decision. If 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 the, the, the government says, and this is a more likely possibility, that you can no longer share Jesus in public, we, like Peter... And John, in the book of Acts, say, well, you know, you decide what's right. Do we obey man or do we obey, do we obey God? But as for us, we cannot stop declaring this name. And so, Mark, these are the kind of things that, that we have to do. The problem is the people whose kingdom is the wrong one, they don't want to have to deal with consequences. They would rather just rebel against any and all authority. And, and, and what they don't really get is that when we're rebelling against authority, we're really rebelling against God. You know, when we were told that we had to close during COVID, uh, after a short period of time, we decided we had to open. And um, uh, the, the Bible says, do not forsake the assembly together of the saints. We were prepared, if necessary, to have people come and arrest us. We didn't want that to happen, of course, but we were prepared. But these right-wing zealots, their kingdoms are mixed up. And uh, so your friends are, are really in a bad place. And because of the polemity that's occurring in this country, we're seeing more and more and more of that. And what we're finding out, Mark, is who really has uh, an understanding of their Bibles, 
who's really being led by the Spirit, or who's taking position based on, well, we've got to fight, we've got to stand for what's right. The governments have never obeyed God's laws. Not ever. This country's never been a Christian nation. Now, there were Christians who were in part of the founding fathers, but that wasn't the point. And the idea that we've got to go back and be a Christian government, that's just never happened. And I'll go one step further. In all the nations where there is a national church of God, Russia, the Russian Orthodox is a good example. Uh, the the Anglican Church in, in uh, the UK, they're the national churches. Uh, and And they're absolutely, completely dead spiritually. So what your friends are doing are doing what they want to do. They're inflaming uh, people's uh, passions. And the reason they're doing it is to get them to align with them instead of aligning with Jesus Christ. And Mark, one of the really sad things that we see happening, and it's happening to some Calvary chapels, we see people going completely in the direction of politics. We've got to stand for this. We've got to stand for that. Um, that that's a lack of understanding about our Bible. You know, most of us as Christians, we are conservative. Real Christians are, at least that's how we'd be described by the people in the world that we live in. Uh, but at the same time, um, our job is to declare Jesus Christ crucified and risen from the dead. Our job is to, to be a light in the middle of this darkness, salt in a world that's rotting away. And if we go rogue in the name of justice, in the name of a political kingdom, uh, we have no understanding whatsoever of what the Word of God says. You know, it's really interesting in the first century and beyond, um, Christians um, were burned at the stake. Christians were murdered en masse. And, and all they had to do was deny their faith. And, and who could blame them if they would have said, well, you know, we, we've got to live and then we'll be secret Christians. They can't. It's never been any different. It's just that this is the first time in our country, in our history, where being a Christian has been considered um, something that is a, a negative or something that's a detriment to the good of the world that we live in. So your friends are in a dangerous place. Please pray for them. Don't argue with them. Tell them that they've made some wrong choices. They're going in the wrong direction. Tell them that they're not understanding what the Bible says in context. And uh, and then pray for them. That's all you can do. But don't get caught up with them. I know Christian pastors, and I'm talking big guys, names that people would understand they have bought into conspiracy theories, and that's pretty typical of these um, far right-wing groups uh, of Christians, these nationalists. Um, they've got the wrong king and the wrong kingdom. Mark, thank you for calling. Appreciate it very, very much. Three four zero ninety five eighty five for your live calls and questions. Here is a question from Arthur. He said, Pastor, I believe the Bible teaches a plurality of elders instead of having a lead pastor. Don't you agree that the Bible teaches the plurality of elders? No, uh, Arthur, I don't at all. Uh, you don't understand or you, you haven't really rightly divided the word to see what was being done. When Paul is talking about establishing uh, elders, the word for elders is is an overseer. Um, and when, when we talk about elders in the churches, uh, Timothy is, and Titus, too, um, appoint elders in the churches. Remember, there were house churches. There were no big auditoriums. Churches sometimes had to meet sort of um, underground. And, and, and so there, there weren't these huge places that, that people can park and, and come to. Uh, and so there had to be a pastor or an overseer in those churches, but that's the position that we call pastor. And the reason the word elders is plural is because there were churches plural. So in Ephesus, as an example, if there were 15 house churches, there had to be an elder 
pastor in each of those churches. So the Bible does not teach a plurality of elders the way you are suggesting. That's a word that really means pastor or overseer. Uh, but but the idea that that uh, there's no pastor. God gives vision to a man. Uh, that man is called by God. And when that man is being obedient to God, God will use him and the vision wonderfully. But it is always, always, always a, a, a man that God gives the vision to. And then God will surround him with people that will complement that vision and add to it and give gifts. So, Arthur, the Bible doesn't teach a plurality of elders in the way that you think it's teaching. It just says in a church, there is a pastor. In multiple churches, there are multiple pastors. Thank you for the question, Arthur. Let's go to Matthew on line one from Cibolo. Matthew, thanks for calling. You're on the air. Hey, Papa. I got a little Matt Matt with me. Hi, Matt Matt. Hi. <laughs> uh, he, he was, you know, he's very shy, but he wanted to ask, uh, what are your thoughts on uh, Israel and uh, Hamas? He's been, he's been following that. He's kind of you know, concerned. So he he wanted to hear your thoughts personally. That was it, Papa. Okay, thank you. Matt, Matt, always appreciate your questions. You know, it's interesting because I've had a lot of kids. I had the, the, the cutest thing happen on Sunday uh, between first and second service. Um, a little boy came in, and this is a little boy who's always got so much energy, comes in and he gets M&Ms and stuff like that. And he comes in, and there's other kids in there. He goes, well, I have to wait till they're gone. And I said, well, what do you mean wait? He goes, well, I came, but not for candy. I need to have a conversation with you. And one of the things he wanted to talk about was the war. And this is a war now. Um, and Matt, Matt, I think uh, what's going on in Israel, none of us should be surprised by it. Um, Jesus said, when you hear wars and rumors of wars, um, the end is near. Jesus said, when you see these things, look up for your redemption draws near. And I think, Matt, Matt, what we're doing is we're getting to the point where uh, Jesus is getting ready to return. Now, Matt, Matt, I know how old you are. And I know that could be sort of a daunting or a fearful thought for you. But believe me, now Matthew's a great baseball player. But Matthew, or Matt Matt being a great baseball player is nothing compared to being with Jesus. So it just means that what the Bible says about the end is coming true before our eyes. Now we don't know how long we have Matt Matt. It is very likely that you'll grow to be an older man, have your own kids. But the reality is that Jesus could come at any minute, and we're seeing the stage in the world set up for those very events. Uh, Ezekiel chapters 38 and 39. Um, We're not there yet, because uh, nation's not against nation yet. This is a terrorist group, Hamas is. But here's what you're going to see. Just before we came on the air, I got a bulletin that said uh, Israel has been firing um, uh, rockets into Gaza. And uh, one struck a hospital, and and the world is outraged all of a sudden. Israel is now suddenly the bully. It's interesting, I think, and my number might be off, but I think there's 22 nations surrounding Israel. And every one of those 22 nations has the goal of wiping Israel off the map. They hate Jews. They raise their children to hate Jews. And somehow Israel is called the bully. But we knew these things were going to happen. So we don't have to be afraid, Matt, Matt. We don't have to to be surprised by all of this. What we do is understand that God is the one who's in control. And likely there is still time, time that God wants us to tell other people about Jesus. But there's still time, and we're going to watch things unfold. Matt, Matt, this I hope will be exciting to you and to everybody else in this audience. If we're as close as I think we are, If we're that close, we're going to see an outpouring of God's Spirit like never before in our lifetime. We're going to see a return to the miraculous, the supernatural activity of God on this earth. We're going to be used by God in ways that we never dreamed possible. What we have to do is understand that all of those things are better than anything that we can do on our own regarding the everyday things of life that we really love and enjoy. 
So I think it's really important, Matt, Matt, this is where you say, Jesus, I trust you. And if you come, I'm ready. But until you come, I'm going to tell people about Jesus and I'm going to tell people how to get saved. And and that will enrich your lives. And for everybody in this audience, whether you're Matt Matt's age or 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 older like me, the best thing that can happen to any of us is to see Jesus today. To end this ugliness in this world, to to to, to take the, the wickedness in this world and and see what real righteousness and justice really looks like and feels like. And I just think that we're getting pretty close. So um, keep your eyes on Israel. It's sort of the barometer of of drawing near to the end times. And um, Matt, Matt, again, I don't think we're in Ezekiel 38 and 39 yet. Uh, but uh, keep your eyes on what's going on in Jerusalem and understand that the time is short. The time is short kind of makes it silly to say, well, you know, I'm uncomfortable talking about Jesus. You know, I don't want to invade anybody's personal space. Boy, if there's ever been a time to invade people's personal space, it's now. Because the consequences of not doing so will be forever and ever and ever. So don't be afraid, Matt Matt, but look to Jesus. He's coming soon. Hey, thanks for tuning in. You've been listening to the Tuesday edition of The Word to Stand On for Life. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas, and I'll be back, Lord willing, tomorrow at 4 o'clock on AM 630 The Word. We'll see you then. Thanks for spending this time with Calvary Chapel's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The Word to Stand On for Life is on every weekday afternoon at 4, and Pastor Ron invites you to find out more about Calvary Chapel at calvarysa.com. The Word to Stand On for Life was sponsored by Calvary Chapel of San Antonio. Star General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.